Carl Jung used the word synchronicity to describe meaningful coincidences, events that are connected by meaning but not by cause and effect. In this mini-sode, I'll use events from my life to show how synchronicities and archetypes have shaped my path, so that you can begin to look for where synchronicity is active in your life. Hello, and welcome to The Stuff of Dreams. I'm your host, Amy Lawson, MD, practicing pediatrician. I also have a master's degree in depth psychology, specifically in Jungian and archetypal studies. My goal is to connect you with your dreams in a more fun and meaningful way so that you can interpret the messages your unconscious is sending. I wanted to do this episode about synchronicity now because it's been at play lately for me. And so I want to tell you the story of me getting my new job. I have found it really strange that during this time of a global pandemic, I've been working as a pediatrician less and less because my job is in an urgent care and... People don't want to come to the doctor right now if their kids aren't super sick. And so a lot of people are just staying at home. Plus, the kids aren't in school or daycare in general, so they're not trading around a whole bunch of viruses. And so we just have a lot fewer patients. And because I'm just a part-time person, my job has been prioritizing giving the full-time contracted people the hours that are available, which makes sense. But it leaves me working almost not at all in a time of pandemic, which is very strange and kind of demoralizing because I've never really felt like I didn't have something to contribute. I'm thankful that our area of the country hasn't been hard hit by the coronavirus, but it's been a strange situation for me. Although, of course, there's been the silver lining of I've had time to start this podcast, so that's good. So I wasn't looking for a new job, though. I figure that as the pandemic lets up, as it gets into fall and winter, my hours would pick up again. And so I was just kind of enjoying my break. And then a new job fell in my lap. So let me tell you the story. I was working at one of my urgent care locations. We had very few patients, so I was sitting around talking with the nurses. Actually, I was interpreting their dreams, and we were talking about dreams because that's super fun to do. Some of them think that's pretty weird that I do that, but I was with a crew who, who thought it was fun. So we had a nice conversation, and I was talking about how I only got like 23 hours of work scheduled in the whole month of July and just how crazy that is to me. And a few days later, I got this text out of the blue from a doctor who works at that same location, but who I barely know. Only one doctor works at a time right now, so I haven't worked with another doctor in a long time at that location. And he said, hey, I heard from one of my friends that they might be looking for a pediatrician. And the nurses were telling me how you don't have very many hours. So I thought of you. And is it OK if I give her your information? And I was like, OK, I guess. I wondered what kind of job it was. And, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about getting a new job. So she texted me and told me about the job. And it's actually like more primary care pediatrics, which I haven't done much of before. And I was like, mm, I don't know, but I can't really absolutely say no before I know more about it since I am starting to kind of maybe want to make some more money. And so I texted her more about it. I've also never found out about a job via text before and gotten all the details by text. That was interesting. And so I ended up doing a Zoom interview and then going up to see the place. And it feels like I'm supposed to take this job. That's kind of a strange statement. It feels like I'm supposed to take a job because usually I 
set out to research jobs and then I get interviews and weigh which ones I want or look for red flag signs that about ones that I don't want. But in this case, it just fell into my lap so neatly at a time when I really needed it and when they really need a pediatrician that I just have to pay attention to that. And so I would call this series of events that led to me getting a job that I wasn't even looking for a synchronicity. The depth psychologist Carl Jung thought a lot about synchronicity, and he thought that synchronicities were meaningful coincidences. It's the kind of a thing that's hard to put a precise definition on, but he defined it as occurring when two events happen and they're connected. They're connected by the meaning behind them. They're not connected by cause and effect. They're connected by meaning. And so, for example, the series of events that led to me getting this job, you know, I didn't cause them. I wasn't looking. I didn't purposely have that conversation with the nurses and bond with them over dream interpretation so that they were looking out for me and would tell this doctor that I was looking for more hours. But all these events combined and led to me getting a new job that I hadn't been looking for. I'm sure that you've experienced at least some small synchronicities in your life, you know, when you've been thinking about a person and then they call you the next day. Well, your thoughts didn't make that happen, but there does seem to be some sort of common meaning behind it. You were thinking of them, they were somehow thinking of you, and it results in a conversation. Or there may be times in your life where you just keep seeing a certain sign or symbol or image, like you're dreaming about snakes a lot and then you start seeing snakes along the path of your hike way more often than you usually do. One of my professors said that he often sees synchronicities in graffiti, that when he is particularly torn or looking for input or isn't sure what direction to go or whether the direction he's headed is the right one, he often sees a billboard or some graffiti somewhere with a word or an image that is meaningful to him that relates to his life in some way and tells him whether he's on the right track or not. But none of this is logical. It's not particularly rational because it's not cause and effect. One plus two equals three. And so, you know, a lot of people are a bit wary of this idea. I actually thought about, you know, ooh, am I going to do a whole episode explaining that I'm a doctor who really doesn't think that everything has to come down to logic and reason, but you've probably figured that out about me already, so it's okay. So Jung thought a lot about what was behind these coincidences then. How could we explain these synchronicities without using the rational steps of cause and effect? And one of the explanations that he thought might be possible was that synchronicities rest on archetypal foundations, that the meaning that connects these events might be some kind of archetype that's active in a person's life right then. We see archetypes in stories, you know, mother is an archetype, king is an archetype, the hero's journey is an archetype. Really, anything that can be made into a category can be an archetype. I had another professor who said anything that you could write with a capital letter could be an archetype. So cloud could be an archetype, rain, river, house, you know, anything where it's kind of a general form. And then in your personal life, it gets fleshed out in some more detailed way. 
because we can never experience the archetypes directly. We can only see them when they metaphorically put on clothing and show themselves to us. So we can never experience the archetype of mother directly, but we can experience it through our own personal mothers or our grandmothers or movie or TV or book characters that mean mother to us. That's what I mean by the archetype itself can never be experienced. It has to be in a more detailed and more personal way. And so for that person who was dreaming of snakes and then seeing them in real life, maybe it was the archetype of snake that was behind all of those coincidences, making them not just random, but connected by meaning. And so I thought I'd just tell you a little bit more about the archetype that I think has been at work on and off in my life for a really long time, which is the archetype of bridge. Because my scientific upbringing and the family and culture that I was raised in was pretty black and white, my general tendency is to move toward being really one-sided in some way. Like, if something is good, then more of it is better. Let's be all in and go 100%. But as I've gotten older and gone on this depth psychology journey, I've been having to learn to stay in the gray areas a lot more and learning that a lot of things aren't either right or wrong. There's a lot of mystery and a lot of sets of opposites where I can't pick one over the other. In depth psychology, we call that holding the tension of the opposites. When you can't choose one extreme as right or wrong, and you have to stay somewhere in the middle. So I want to tell you about a few more synchronicities and how I think I can trace them back to the bridge archetype really being active at those times. And maybe once you hear my stories, you'll be able to see some themes in your life and pick which archetype might have been governing some of the stuff that happens to you. One of the places where I feel like I am a bridge rather than at one extreme or the other is the Midwest versus the West Coast. Because I grew up in a small town in the Midwest and it took me a few decades, but I ended up out here on the West Coast which really feels like home in a lot of ways. It feels like I was a West Coast person. I just didn't know it. And so in thinking about how I got out here, one of the biggest coincidences that I think led to that was meeting my husband, which statistically speaking was really, really unlikely. I grew up in a small town in Missouri. My husband grew up on a farm in Nebraska with the nearest little settlement being like 400 people. And it was very unlikely that we were ever going to meet. We were separated by several hundred miles and he was a couple of years older than me. But in 1993, I won the Missouri State Science Fair and he won the Nebraska State Science Fair. And we met at the National Science Fair in Boston. I thought he was super interesting with all these big ideas. And he was not like anybody else I had met before, but... I didn't really think we'd ever see each other again, uh, but he was persistent in writing letters. Yes, that was back before email and texting. You had to actually physically write letters because long distance was expensive. And his persistence paid off and we ended up going to the same college and then getting married and creating a life together. We stayed in the Midwest for a long time for training and work, but eventually we kind of had an early midlife crisis and we're trying to decide where we wanted to try to move. And since we had stayed in Missouri for so long for my job, 
I said, well, let's go somewhere that's good for your job, which he's a computer programmer. So we decided we'd come out to Silicon Valley and see how it treated us. And we have not regretted it. We feel very at home here. I find it really restful that the people around me in general kind of think like I do, or if they don't, they don't really care what I think. And that's nice for me because I do tend to feel a lot of peer pressure when I'm back in the Midwest around people who just do not understand some of the choices that I've made. It's hard for me to own my own individuality and not feel really judged by that. And so I think that's one of the reasons that we fit in really well out here on the West Coast. But we haven't totally abandoned our Midwestern roots. We find that we're still a bit more friendly and less standoffish than some people out here. We find that we're a little bit more humble and less entitled than some people out here. And we're really big on friendliness and hospitality. I remember when I was in medical school, there were some classmates who came from the East Coast. I went to med school in St. Louis. And they would just marvel at how they're like, when I get into the elevator, people talk to me. It's so strange. And I think that's just a Midwestern thing of we're not afraid to talk to people. We don't just ignore everybody or live in our own little world all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a cultural thing. And even though our politics match the people around us on the West Coast way more than they match most of the people in the Midwest's politics, we still come from those people and don't just see them as, you know, the flyover states. We understand that even though we don't agree with a lot of those people, we kind of understand where they're coming from a bit more than people who, you know, have lived their whole lives on the coasts. So in that way, my husband and I both feel like we are living with one foot in the Midwest and one foot in the West Coast still, just because we haven't abandoned all of that stuff from the Midwest. And so that's one illustration of bridge. I think that I'm meant to be a bridge between Midwestern hospitality and values and West Coast freedom and its values. That's a bit of a oversimplification, but I hope you see what I mean. I'm not meant to fully embrace one side and completely abandon the other. I have to stay in the middle and navigate in between every time I go back to the Midwest to see my sister or talk to my other relatives. And Scott and I have talked about how unlikely it would have been for either one of us to plan to leave the Midwest without having found each other and had our relationship and grown in the same direction together. Another place in my life where I feel like I bridge two opposites is doctor versus patient, because I have spent a lot of my life being a patient, which is not an experience that a lot of doctors have. You know, I had cancer when I was 19, which is what led me to want to be a doctor in the first place. So all through my training, I was able to step into the patient perspective a lot more readily than some of my colleagues who hadn't spent a year getting cancer treatment. I think that made empathy for patients and their families come a little more naturally to me than to some people. I'm not saying that doctors who haven't been patients can't be good doctors and empathetic and wonderful with their patients and families. They absolutely can. But it was just a much easier perspective for me to step in and out of. As I was training. And periodically, when I get too wrapped up in the doctor role, I repeatedly keep getting pushed back into the patient role. When Scott and I made our plans to move out to San Francisco, 
We put the house on the market. He got a job out here. And then I fell and broke my femur and I couldn't move with him and I couldn't work for a year. It was the leg that I'd had cancer in and it took forever to heal. And it was like, oh, you think you're going to go out to California and be a hotshot doctor out there? No, you're not. You're going to spend a year being a patient and feeling kind of useless and confronting just how much your self-identity is wrapped up in your being a doctor. You need to just be a patient and a person for a while. You need to remember what this feels like. And then I had another few good years and then I had to get surgery on my foot and then I broke my other ankle which I've been dealing with for months and months now. And it's just pushing me back into that patient role where I'm not in control, I'm not in charge, and I have to spend a lot of time trying to heal myself rather than healing other people. Actually, indirectly, my broken femur is what led me to depth psychology because when I was out of work and away from my husband for a year, I got pretty depressed. So once I finally got out here, I couldn't quite climb out of that on my own. And I ended up getting a therapist who introduced me to depth psychology. And I eventually attended the school that he had attended. So that tension between doctor and patient, that being forced to stay somewhere in the middle, was what caused me to look outside medicine for something else that might heal my depression and might be another life path for me. And that leads to the third tension that I feel like I'm called to bridge in my life, which is doctor versus depth psychologist. There's not a lot of people out there with my combination of degrees, one in medicine and one in touchy-feely, woo-woo psychology world. You've probably heard me say before that when I started my depth psychology classes, I thought I was done with medicine. I mean, I was still working to pay for school, but I thought that I was in graduate school for depth psychology in order to find my next career path because I was burned out and done with medicine. But that wasn't the case. Instead, looking at the world through a depth psychology lens led me to reconnect with medicine in a deeper way and get more meaning out of what I do on a daily basis, even if it is in a broken system that's really hard to function in sometimes. So I see synchronicity as the principle behind that series of events of breaking my femur and being apart and getting depressed and finding a therapist that led me to depth psychology that helped me to reconnect with medicine but I can't go back to being 100% gung-ho, medicine, logic, cause and effect anymore. My medical practice is informed by all the gray areas that I can see because of my depth psychology training too. And so I've become something of a hybrid. I'm functioning as a bridge between medicine and depth psychology. And that has led to some really interesting conversations with colleagues sometimes where I'll mention something and it's not something that we doctors ever talk about. But once I break the ice, they're ready to talk and it really opens up new ideas and new perspectives and new feelings and new ways of us looking at our vocations. So it's really useful for me to function as a bridge. And I think it's what I'm meant to be doing. I think I'm meant to be a bridge between the Midwest and the West Coast and a bridge between doctor and patient and bridge between medicine and depth psychology. So how does the story of me getting this new job tie into all this? Well, I think that having this job is going to help me more effectively balance medicine and depth psychology, 
because for the first time in my career ever, I'm going to have a regular set schedule where I work maybe two or two and a half days a week, the same two and a half days every week. And then I have the rest of my time to start writing my dissertation and to continue with this podcast and to do whatever else comes up that is meaningful to me. Because my whole career, I've always had a random schedule. I've always worked some evenings and some weekends. For 15 years, I worked overnights too. And I never had a set schedule. I mean, I was always able to say when I was available to work and when I wasn't, but it was never the same every week. And that makes getting into habits really difficult. And that makes planning your time really difficult. And the trade-offs were okay for me back then. But now I'm seeing how this new kind of scheduling may really free me to more effectively function in the various areas of my life. I'll have more time and headspace to devote to being a bridge in all the ways that I think I am. So I hope that summary hasn't been too much about me, 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 and has been more an illustration of how you can look for these themes and these synchronicities in your life and possibly identify what archetype might be structuring the meanings around what's happening to you. I'd be really interested to hear from you what you come up with. So if you're willing to share, absolutely drop me an email at stuffofdreamspodcast at gmail.com and tell me about the archetypes that are functioning in your life right now. Tell me the stories of the synchronicities that have been shaping your path because it's really fascinating stuff. And if I get some good responses, I'll read them on the air and we can all learn from them. So send in your stories to inspire other listeners. So that's the end of this synchronicity mini-sode. Uh, the next full-length episode is going to be about more masculine and feminine imagery in dreams and how male and female characters can really help describe what's going on with our inner dynamics right now, whether we're getting along with the parts of ourselves or whether they're in conflict. So stay tuned for that. Head on over to my website at stuffofdreams.fireside.fm for links to all the major podcast apps, my favorite dream interpretation and depth psychology books, our subreddit, and my email. Thanks so much for listening. And if you liked it, I encourage you to tell a friend about it this week. Let's get more people fluent in the language of dreams. Bye for now. And I hope you dream tonight. <laughs>